Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gilliary. Paul, we're here, episode three of 10 Month, and we have done what? We have found our tastiest riffs. We have done an over-under. That was really easy, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. And we've done, uh, last episode, we did our original mix versus Brendan O'Brien remix. Yeah. What did we prefer from either um, and song by song and overall? So that was interesting um, because I think I learned a lot from from when, I think I learned a lot in that since 09, I kind of exclusively have listened to the remix because i liked generally the sound of the of the drier guitars and vocals and more of a um, immediate punchiness of that but uh having re-listened there are certain songs that just there is the the what's the word i'm looking for like the soul of the song it goes missing on brendan's remixes on a couple of those songs i think i think we agreed on jeremy black be part of garden Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, look, the exercise was fruitful, mostly because uh, of a little nugget that I'm going to bring you back to, which was Mm. something that that you mentioned. You said, you know what, now that we're having this discussion, you wanted to go back and listen to the Rick Parashar version because Mm. you felt that uh, pretty much since the reissue came out, that that's the only version you've listened to. And, and, And our discussion inspired you to take another deep dive into that original mix like i said in the middle of 10 months but we shan't um ignore uh the 25th anniversary of no code and um perhaps we'll do something no code special uh the first week of september as a lovely nod to that beautiful album so mm-hmm. until then we are gonna we're gonna carry through with our 10 month episode three and we are going to do something that we have done a few times before i think this is the fifth album maybe this maybe the sixth no, i think it's the fifth album that we have done this too and we haven't touched any of the early albums yet. The closest we've gone is Yield. So now we're going to touch one of the first four. And of course, that is 10. How hard is this going to be? Again, there are no right answers. There are only wrong answers. So I, I, I'm all, <laughs> exactly. I, I can already feel your disdain for us. Yes, podcasts are symbiotic. They work the reverse way. As I talk at you, I can hear you judging me. Well, future. not only that, but I mean, let, let's just call this for what it is. I mean, you're recording in a bathroom again, mm-hmm. which is what you've got the bottom effect, which I, I, I said this before we, we went on the air, but uh, I, I think this is apropos given the fact that, you know, we're talking 10, a little bit of reverb on Jason, per- perfect mix here. Very Rick Parrisher of you. However, uh, I also think that it was interesting that before we, we started, we had to stop the process mm. because your 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 little in decided yeah. that he had to tinkle and well, uh, uh you know i i have to be honest with you that the sound is probably 
how everybody listening is going to think of our retracking. Today. Oh boy. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd rather listen to that kid do that I'll than whatever what. the heck you guys put together. Cause it's going to be blasphemy across the board. That That is true. And I will say he's got a hell of a stream <laughs> for a toddler. What is going on right now? Get to it, boys. Okay, fine. Sorry. Jeez. Cut out the hashtag banter. Well, hey, here we I'm going to lead off on this. How about that? You will lead off on this. Um, right. You know what I'm going to open I, the album with? Are we just going to get right into it? Uh, well, we don't have to. I mean, we, we can keep delaying this. I mean, we, we everybody listening knows we're just avoiding doing this at this I point, know. right? The, <laughs> the more I can talk, the more I don't have to tell you my terrible, terrible answer here. <laughs> But you know what? You should start us off because I, I assume yours is going to be less shit than mine. Um, uh, I'm actually proud of mine and I have no substantial or rational reason to be. So. <laughs> no, I mean, I like mine too, but I know that's wrong. Yeah, as do I. So. <laughs> we should, we should um, make sure that people know what songs are available. Yeah. And so, the first song is called uh, Subscribe, <laughs> right? And so Still that's my first track. My, yes. my second track mm-hmm. is... Uh, it's called like. like. It's mm-hmm. called review. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, comment. It's called rate. These are awesome tracks. Best. What an EP. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, of course, all 11 tracks on 10 are available, but they recorded a lot of songs uh, in that time. And these other songs are available to you Yellow Ledbetter, Wash, Brother, Breath, State of Love and Trust, Dirty Frank, B-Girl, Alone, Let Me Sleep, Angel, Footsteps, and Just a Girl. So, if you would like to include any of those songs and or omit any of the 11 songs that actually made the record, those are available to you to do. Just throwing it out there, those are the rules. We have made those rules since Binaural when we first started this because some of those songs needed to be on the record. Uh, and that's kind of carry it over. So anything in the recording sessions you may use uh, off the cutting room floor. So with that, Paul, start us off. What do you got? I'm going to open with Master Slave. What, what a choice. I know. I'm so innovative. And then uh, I'm going to cut in with a song called Once. <laughs> and uh, I know that that's it's it, I mean, it's it, it's a riveting way to open a record. This is going to be I the shortest podcast of all time. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I, I, for self-explanatory reasons, it, it, it's just, it's a wonderful tempo change, the way that that song rips in. We talked about it, obviously, last week. I think we, we spoke a little bit about it the week before, so I'm not going to rehash that. So let's move on to track two, mm-hmm. okay? Track two is not even flow for me. It's State of Love and Trust. It's our, our podcast. Lovely. Okay, so uh, I've always felt that State of Love and Trust was the signature track from this recording session from this era it was featured on the single soundtrack it was played at mtv unplugged uh, never felt like this was the type of song that shouldn't have been on the album uh, it, it always felt vintage pearl jam to me and uh, in the same way that a lot of folks would, would say Ledbetter does but uh, for, for state of love and trust to me i just think musically speaking it's a perfect follow-up to once uh, on a thematic level you know, um, I, I think that it's an interesting dichotomy when you think about the meaning of a song like Once, the, the, the mental breakdown and, and uh, the eruption of aggression. And you couple that with this, this more cerebral 
intellectual examination of of a feeling and, and of emotion as opposed to just this now the delivery of the song is equally as, as, as raw and charged as once but i love the fact that they're, they're almost on two polar ends of the spectrum lyrically and thematically and yet at the same time they tie in so wonderfully sonically so i think those two as as back to back work very very well on a few different levels i like it far more so i would say than once and even flow which to me i mean there, there's no real connection there um yeah but uh, I, I like once I like I think state of love and trust it, it keeps the tempo in the same way even flow does in the original mm-hmm. track listing so I, I, as of now to me nothing's been lost if anything something's been gained so I'm, I'm gonna go once then state of love and trust then I'm gonna throw a real curveball I'm gonna go oceans yes I, think, uh, I love it we're this, getting fucked up already <laughs> so I I think oceans is it's one of those songs that I'm I'm so used to the track listing of the original album that it's almost impossible to not hear it outside of that like five six seven range you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you just can't even fathom it being there but imagine listening to the record for the first time this is that quintessential song number three you'd put on a mixtape if these are the only songs you had to work with this is the one that you put on there you know what i mean it it has that kind of um first of all the the percussion that that was overdubbed for those listening who don't know uh there's a fire extinguisher and a pepper mill mm-hmm. added to the percussion of this song. So I, there's just something so unique about it. But it, it has this this very um, it, this this gossamer curtain feeling to it. There's a very very eerie beauty to it, and it's not a difficult song. It's really not. I mean, what are who, the, who what is, is gossamer this? curtain? Just for those who don't know. Uh, well, so a gossamer, like think of like a. <laughs> But uh, there's something really, really poignant about the song, and I, I like the way that it it explored sound in a, in a way that, that none of the other tracks during this entire recording session do. I think that there's a gravity to it that, uh, first of all, you cannot recapture live. I mean, it, it, there's a soaring epic nature to this song that is it was only captured in what Eddie once called produced fashion i mean there was his he took umbrage with the the original recording mostly because he just felt it was too produced but i think it really works here with a song like oceans and so i think uh yeah there, there's a, a it's a ballad it's the perfect three-hole hitter you know what i mean it's, it's exactly <laughs> which as cusack said in um uh, what is that movie? Uh, high Fidelity? High Fidelity, right? You, you, you start them off with a bang, then you, yeah. you you raise the intensity, and then you got to bring it down. You know, yes. this is this is the right track for that. So, <laughs> But it, it's also, it, it does a really nice job of, of kind of pivoting away from those big ideas of, of, of anger and, and disillusionment and, and then into some sort of idealistic view of of a relationship and in this case the speaker may be finding solace in nature so even though the the, the speaker may still be alone uh, the, there's still the the ability to connect with one's surroundings if that's all that you have if, if you want to take the ocean as a metaphor for a relationship or love you can do that as well i still think the the song works here but i think it might a, you might yeah so I, I like i like it there in the three spot and then uh from oceans i'm actually moving to breath which Ooh, I, man, I think you is, are just is a, pulling out all the stuff. I love it. <laughs> so breath to me is, is perfect coming after oceans. I think uh, if you listen to them musically, they they really lead into each other well. And uh, I think when you think about 
breath and a scream if you want to go that way mm -hmm. uh, and you think about state of love and trust and you think about oceans it's it's a beautiful trifecta it, it's a wonderful relationship trilogy if you will but not necessarily done in a way that is, is necessarily grounded in a narrative of a man and a woman or a particular speaker with a particular story it's very much um nebulous in that respect you know it, it, there's there's kind of a an abstract nature to it and i like that abstract examination over something and, and i think it works well after a song like once which is just kind of the, the raging against all that's so very difficult to understand so after breath what better way to go than black mm -hmm. right? so black uh just a, a beautiful somber ballad about love lost and, and the the longing for what could have been and, and the inability to cope and move forward and, and transition out of of that love lost and i think that it works beautifully after breath and oceans um, I, I think there, there there's a loose narrative being told here mm -hmm. and uh, i think in terms of tempo it works really really well it, it's it's kind of like a if you look at a someone's heartbeat you know what i mean like you you get these pulses and, and i like the the pulses that we get with with black in the climax the pulses that we get in certain sections of breath and oceans and so that the, there's very much kind of a heart line that's being communicated here in terms of, of, of mm. mid-tempo tracks now i'm going to bring it down here after black and i'm going to go into garden i just think it, it, it it's that there's a a melancholy to this track and we are emotionally spent by the time we get here mm. and, and and we just need to just dwell in this place at this point in time and uh, the, the intro to garden that it, it's so eerie I, I i've talked at length about why i prefer the original mix of it i think the production on it is, is what captures its mood and its tone and that's totally lost in the remix here it works beautifully set after black i mean it the, the emotional state you're in after a song like black the opening riff of garden is literally that feeling personified and so i think it does a, a marvelous job of, of kind of capturing the feel the tone the mood now after that i'm going to transition into jeremy i think uh, we've got this the, the, the crescendo of the way garden ends at that point in time we're just as I said, exasperated. I don't need you for me to live into Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it's, I mean, if you think theme here and then you, 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 you come in with that, that, that bass mm -hmm. and it just cuts in and it's like, we're, we're now we're going somewhere else. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's a, it, the intro to this song is not jarring in a way that say uh, state of love and trust for once is, but it's also, not necessarily rooted in a tone the way that Garden's intro is. There's a transitional quality to Jeff's bass in the way Jeremy opens. And I think it, it's a perfect song to transition us out of this, this cave that we've been dwelling in for a few tracks here. Uh, so now it's an interesting place. Where, where can we go? And I think the way that Jeremy takes the listener and it, it, it brings us, again, a lot of these songs are just about loss and, and the inability to move forward. And I think Jeremy, it, it, it underscores the ramifications of that. It underscores the, 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 the true reality of how being misunderstood 
can ultimately, if not addressed, lead to catastrophic consequences. Now, once open the album with that, but I think we, we get so lost in ourselves sometimes that we forget that that we're just a cog in a wheel. You know what I mean? We're we're mm. we're, we're one of many, and I think Jeremy kind of brings us back to a place that says, you know. You've been dwelling a lot over the last few songs over over your feelings and and, and your um, sense of loss and, and longing. It's a much bigger world out there. And uh, from Jeremy, I'm going to move into Why Go, hmm. which I think those two songs coupled together are, are beautiful. I think, it, first of all, there's the nice gender dichotomy where you have uh, uh, the boy subject in Jeremy and the female subject in Why Go. And it, it's just this kind of re-examination of, of the misunderstood, angst-riddled youth and, and how these two can be driven in what seem like diametrically opposite directions, you know. But ultimately, one song captures the utter um, dissolving of the, the, the mental well-being that, that, and this oppressive force that's essentially saying, you know, you are no longer a product of a system. You, you don't fit. You're an outcast. And then the reaction of being an outcast right. that you see in Jeremy from the point of view of, of obviously a more aggressive male figure. So I, I like those two back to back. I like the both the, the, the lyrical parallels and I think musically they work very, very well together. If you think about the way that that echoing trailing off bass sounds in Jeremy the and then suddenly yeah. with the harmonics and then you get the, those pounding drums that just kind of wake you back up again. You know, mm-hmm. it's just good. Such a nice coupling, I think. So after Why Go, uh, we are going to finish in a blaze of glory. <laughs> we are going to finish in a way that no album has ever finished before. And people will look back on 10 and they will say, has there ever been a greater ending to an album than this? <laughs> because we're going into even flow here. But I want to use the, the, I think it was the singles mix where Eddie comes in mm-hmm. and says, wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. First of all, they recorded that song 50 or 60 times. They could not get it to a place that they were comfortable with. So the version that we've come to love on the album, many members of the band, Stone primarily, were never big fans of it. They just they just finally just said, whatever. It's, it, it is what it is, and we're putting it out there. Uh, I think the, the version that we saw with, with um, the singles session, that, that version to me, has always been the heart and soul of that song. And, and I know, and we talked about this, the three versions that we have, the ultimate version would take all parts and pieces of all three. But I'm going to go with this particular version here. I think, you know, th- this is the part of the record that deviates away from the self. The first half of the record is very much um, singular. Like we talk id and ego. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about uh, uh, the individual versus the the the, the micro versus the macro let's put it that way okay so the macro here is where we pull out songs like jeremy and why go and even flow and we start really pulling out more and more and we, we really begin to to examine in a lot of ways how society is formed by so many of the emotional tendencies that we saw on an individual level earlier in the album so i think uh, even flow works works very very well here uh, and then, oh, I'm sorry. I left out footsteps. Where does footsteps go? Footsteps is after Why Go. Aha. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so we, we, we have this, I mean, it's Jeremy and Wygo together is just two punches in the mouth. And I think Footsteps is this very interesting harmonica driven uh, acoustic track. It's a beautiful callback to uh, the Temple of the Dog album. It's to me, it's Pearl Jam. It's that entity reborn into what Pearl Jam is meant to be. And I also think that it, how can you not have that trilogy, the Mama Son trilogy on the same record? So it, to me, it's, it, it, it's a necessity to put here. I think it works well after Why Go. Again, uh, you, you have these, these uh, vignettes, these three vignettes that kind of show what happens mm. to those yeah. that we abandon in society. The ones that we leave behind end up institutionalized, they end up suicidal, uh, or they end up homicidal. And I think those three songs together work well as their own little trifecta. But I also love the way that we can space out the Mama San trilogy as well. That's so a great after that, shout on those three songs together, by the way. Thanks, brother. That. So after that, <clears throat> we then go into Even Flow. We continue this macro look at, at society and, and our cultural, I'm sorry, our societal social commentary, cultural commentary, if you will, as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Even Flow, we, we know this song. We talked about it at length. I'm not going to go ad nauseum here. From there, I, I said, this is the supernova ending, <laughs> right? So we had Even Flow. Then we go straight into Alive. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that what's what's so unique about Alive is it's this, this reaffirming. It's this affirmation at the end. After all of this, 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 this look at everything. And then you have a subject that carries so much of it. And, and what I love about it is... Uh, Jeremy is told from the third person. Okay. Wygo is told from the third person. Even Flow is told from the third person. Now, granted, Footsteps is, is uh, first person. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that, that you want to have that element there as, as part of the trilogy. But I think what's so wonderful about Alive is that idea that I'm still alive. I hurt, you know, but I, I'm, I'm still alive. And it, it kind of brings a positive note to what has otherwise been a, a very dark record on many, many levels, but a very, very introspective one. And I, and I think a one that really shines a light on a lot of social issues and ideas on a personal and intimate level that most bands at the time weren't even attempting to talk about. Uh, and then, of course, we would end with release, uh, as the, the current record does. I think it's a wonderful personal send-off to the record. I, I think it still fits. It's still the best closer here. Uh, it, it, I almost thought about opening the album with release just because so many people mm -hmm. love it as a concert opener. I thought, well, maybe it was meant to be an album opener. Then. Um, but I, I think that there's a, there's something about its length that mm -hmm. fits better as, as a closer. And, and I like after the intensity that has been songs like Jeremy and Wygo and Even Flow and Alive with really the only respite being Footsteps. It felt to me like a song like release is, is needed. It's that we, we need that release as a listener to, 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 to feel some closure and to just not feel like at the end of the record, we're going to explode with the songs. <laughs> so I thought that, that it was just a perfect way to end. So I'm going to run you through from top to bottom here. We open uh, Master Slave leading into Once. Then we go State of Love and Trust, followed by Oceans at Three. Breath at four, and then Black at five, Garden at six, Jeremy at seven. Um, what did I say? Is it footsteps at eight or Why Go at eight? I why Go. Why Go, footsteps. thank you. And then Footsteps, and then we head into Even Flow, Alive, and Release. 
Wow, I am really into this. Um, I love the, the the separation of micro and macro, and I think to a degree, we're, there's going to be some similarity there between you and I. Um, now let's let's acknowledge first though what I cut out. There's no deep. I know. I was there's no say. porch. Yep. And uh, now there there were two B B sides. I, I I did. I had never had the desire to put lead better on. I, that has always felt like an improv. Um, the, the, the type of track that was best suited, I think, to be a, a B-side. I was, it, it was, I don't want to call it an outtake, but it just felt to me like it wasn't necessarily meant to be on an album. Um, I thought long and hard about uh, Porch, but to me, in, in many ways, it's a rocking version of Ledbetter. There's this improv-y kind of just, uh, let's just play it live and, and, and rock with it. I think those two songs would have been perfect as kind of like a, a, like a mirror ball type thing. Just to like, you know, hear two songs and, and then release them as live tracks, actually. And then people would clamor for the studio versions and then you get the studio versions. But uh, I had a hard time with Brother. I really wanted I to include that song because, and you know mm-hmm. this because I, ta- I talked about it when it first came out. It was just back in 09, I think, when the, when the reissues came out. Is it 09? Uh, yes. 09. I remember listening to that song and I thought to myself, what? in god how was this not released how did this how did this not make the album i thought it was epic it was just an, uh, but you know what the more i've listened to it over the years it's dated it it feels like a dated track mm-hmm. and uh, and i think what i love about the song is that it brings me back to that era but it doesn't have the same timeless quality that demands re-listening in the way that the songs on on this record did so i while i still think it's an awesome rocker and 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 i i wish it had been released in some capacity at the time i think it would have been a hit in the same way um a song like alone was and i thought along and hard about alone too it's one of my favorite uh, b-sides but there's so much mid-tempo and down tempo on the record already that i felt like that it was hard to place uh, a song like alone um but I thought about it, but then we would have been pretty long in the tooth. We'd be closing in on 14 or 15 tracks at that point. So I left those two off. And believe it or not, there, there's one of my, my favorite Pearl Jam songs that's actually, it was actually recorded during these sessions, believe it or not. Hold On was recorded oh, yeah, during true. the 10 sessions. I and, and I thought long and hard about that one as well, because I think it's an underrated gem. But I, I, I don't think it... it it's it felt derivative with the sound of some of the other songs that we already had here and so i opted to leave that one off as well i never thought about wash or dirty frank as much as i i love wash i adore that song dirty frank is fun but (laughs) i mean you know it's we've got enough of that with uh footsteps and and once and you know we we don't need to we don't need to make it uh a silly show on top of it so well all right uh, so there you have it, buddy. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't want to give away too much of, of mine, but I, I do really like that. Um, I imagine it was very hard to leave off certain songs, as you said, uh, to keep it to 12. I may or may not have had that same um, restraint. Mm. We shall find out right now. Let's do it. All right. So you guys know, like, I like to spin the yarn here and try and connect things and yeah, you you love going the concept album right i do days, i don't know which why. is great i love it um so um this this album to me I, you mentioned it in your in your um illustration there uh that it is definitely a down trodden 
uh, negative feeling record. Um, and I agree. I think there are flashes, um, not only on the album, but on some of the songs left out that, uh, flash some positivity and i think some of those can be worked in to create a not necessarily a roller coaster but a a cohesive um i would say it's not a story but it's an overall theme connected by multiple stories okay we start with a live start with a bang that is that is wow no mm-hmm. master slave. Um, it's an epic way to open an album with a live that riff. I mean, it, yeah, it's already I, iconic. You open an album with it now. I mean, it's it. it you're start. You're starting yeah. to have like top ten all time greatest album opening riffs of ever at that. When point. I, yeah, when when I thought about doing you this went first, big, yeah. go big or go home. You went big. Hey, if you're gonna be a bear, be a grizzly. No, I like it. I like. So, it. I I didn't envision. Envisage, envision, um, Master Slave being a part of this as much as I love it and I love how once cuts into it on the actual album. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say Alive just starts off with Stone. I, I love that idea of, of, of this opening the record, and I understand not everyone will like this pick, but I have my reasons, and they will make more sense as we go. And I thought about opening like you did with release or maybe oceans or even even sticking with once but i love the idea the theme of alive kicking us off you know despite a negative story the ultimate lesson is one that will be foreshadowed and ultimately paid off later on in this version of the album we are alive a positive message from a negative situation this is the story of the album this is the overall theme and it's the first thing that hits you in the face where do we go from there, though? Because, like, like I said, it's a collection of stories that fit together. We go to once. Ah, oh. you already see where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. The, mac- <laughs> the macro theme of the record is rising from the ashes of something negative, but within that overarching theme are stories, arcs that aren't always uplifting. After all, you have to go down to understand the up, and we already know where this is headed. The story of Alive, then Once, and then Footsteps, the Mamas and Trilogy is here. So of course, we go to Footsteps next, at number three. And of course, we need to pay off the trilogy. We need that third act, and here it is. And Alive hit us in the mouth on a micro level, but also set the course for the album, as I said. And within this mini story, though, you've got to follow the subject's dark path from A to Z. And this is where the particular story ends. Uh, subject number one, has found his end game and only he will know his epilogue. So that trilogy, we all know this trilogy, it starts the record off. I think it's it's kind of the first thing of Pearl Jam. Once Eddie got his his mitts on on Pearl Jam. Dollar music, short and uh Exactly. Was it a Egyptian crave, I think is it something like that, yeah. <laughs> this was the first thing. And this was the first story that he told. So I felt it was only natural that this was the first story that the listener hears. Yeah, I like it. From there, you start with story number two. Starts with oceans. Another person yearning for the love of another. They just left the love of their life and and they vow to get them back and please stand by the shore. But will they return? Oceans are pretty big, literal and figurative. 
And sometimes the chasms between people are too large to bridge and that person is lost forever. Enter black. Wow. Subject number two is pining, remembering wistfully, but also despondently. The separation is made permanent. Eventually, they find enough strength to wish that person well because they really do love them. Is it real or is it a mirage? Hard to know just yet. It's hard because that person was so dear to them. Well, it's over now and they have to move on. And subject number two has accepted it. Or so we think. So we move from black to alone. Naturally, they are alone. It's been some time, and unfortunately, subject number two cannot get their head off their former love. They see them everywhere. They've been in new relationships, but short-lived. None of them matter. They are wounded, and those emotional gashes have not scarred over yet. And it's to a point where they have to create a mantra to try to force themselves out of this headspace. I can help myself. Don't talk to me. I can help myself. Will it work? Or are they kidding themselves? Here comes Porch. They're starting to lose it. They're racing, thinking about that love again. It's inescapable. They are frantic, as the music suggests. Please come back, they say. They cannot take just one more day without them. This is their final plea. All the cards on the table to get them back. Are they even heard, though? Or is subject number two just screaming into thin air? Desperation at its loudest. I don't think it'll work. The final note, that E chord, the bell has tolled. We move into state of love and trust. Finality. Subject number two finally understands their love is not coming back. In fact, that person might be so moved on, they've married, had kids, etc. But subject number two's roller coaster of love has become an unhealthy infatuation where they have completely fallen into a state that's nearly inescapable. They've been pushed to the brink of their sanity. This is what love does. You start making up stories in your head about why they don't come back, why they left in the first place. Did they cheat on you? Did you do something wrong? Subject number two fingers through all the pages of their shared history looking for the golden ticket, the reason where it all went wrong, where the trust was lost. Well, subject number two's love was lost, quote, at sea. And all the subject can do is second guess every move they made to find some absolution, and they may never get it. Which brings us to deep. Hmm. Subject number two's story ends where another's begins. Deep is a great way to put it because they cannot go any lower. Drug abuse, depression, suicidal thoughts have taken them over. James Hetfield once wrote, Misery loves company. Now, of course, he's not alone in writing that, um, but it's the Black Album's 30th anniversary month, too, mm-hmm. so I thought I'd give him some love. Now, subject number two is wallowing along with other miserable souls. One of those happens to be a young girl who's been taken advantage of, raped, assaulted. She's so young, a virgin, Christmas clean, innocence stripped, and her mind and emotions completely torched, leaving her at the mercy of those around her. Enter, why go? Now this poor girl has become nothing like her true self, and her family, upon learning about her assault, finds some way to blame her They've sent her away to find that Christmas clean feeling again. Well, guess what? Now she resents all of them. It's only made her more fucked up than she already was. She's never going home again. Those people are dead to her. She finally gets to leave that place and seeks a new life 
a broken person, a person with little resemblance to the little girl taken advantage of all those years ago in the song Deep. So where does she go? Wash. Subject number three has grown and found the lifestyle where she tries to replace the love she never got from her family. The way to keep people close is the only way she's ever known. She thinks making a few bucks being taken advantage of is all she's worth. But there's a little firefly of innocence and her true self flying around in her soul. She understands in there somewhere that she cannot carry on like this. There is another way. Somehow she needs to wash it all away and let that little flicker of her true self come out. She's crying out by the end of the song. She wants to become as clean and normal and healthy as she makes herself appear to be to customers. Will she get there? Don't know. We go to garden. The fourth story and the fourth subject of our journey is the one person who always saw the firefly in the aforementioned woman. We learn that she never got clean. She couldn't escape the hell that was burdened onto her. And this person, subject number four, is sick about it. He's angry, feels a little helpless, but he feels bitter and vengeful to the world. His outlook is so negative. He doesn't know how to internalize how his love couldn't love herself. What did or didn't he do that he couldn't save her? He questions himself, society, hell, even her, was it her fault? He feels alone and looks at the world with a different gaze now, a lens where all he sees is the flaws of humanity. He doesn't need society. He doesn't even need her to live. He's by himself and he's out to judge the world. It's a scary proposition. Will he be proved wrong by another? Maybe not, because we're going to Jeremy. Subject number four starts seeing society for what it really is. The first bit of evidence that comes uh, confirms his bias against others, and that's Jeremy. Like I said, the story of a young boy, maybe a young boy just like subject number four, also feels let down by the world around him. This young boy takes revenge on that cruel world by leaving it. This is a powerful reminder to subject number four that the world is unkind. He starts to think maybe he wasn't the reason his love went away. Maybe it wasn't her fault either. We had to even flow. Another bit of evidence for subject number four. Jeremy's family and classmates failed him. The character in Evenflow is failed by society at large. No one cares. I mean, hell, does anyone care about anyone at this point? Subject number four seems to think that this world we live in is only for the selfish, the greedy. The meek and the helpless, the kind, they are chewed up and spit out. It's really quite revolting. And he is further convinced his love's demise was a product of others around her. He remembers her family sending her away, the assault before that. Why doesn't anyone want to help their fellow man? His anger is starting to turn to sadness. Enter Breath. We meet our final subject in our greater 10 universe. It's subject number four's father. Another one of the good ones. He's seen his son anguish over lost love, over society's failures. He's seen it all himself and somehow come out the other side. Wisdom is something else, eh? Well, guess what, my son? There is much more than this. There really is good out there, but it may not live in your backyard. The world is much bigger than your experiences. The entire world isn't a dumpster fire. There are good people out there. Subject number four is hard to convince, but his father pushes him. He loves him. And thankfully, so does our fourth subject right back. Subject number four heeds his father's advice and decides to summon the strength to go find what he craves. Decent, kind people. 
They are out there. They will make you truly feel alive. Just one question though, where do I go? Asks husband number four. His dad doesn't know or take him there himself. Perhaps the journey is as important as the destination. Now this outro solo is the uplifting moment we've been waiting for the entire album. We felt the ups and downs of four characters, love and lost, love and love lost, character and soul desecrated or disregarded. But in the end, someone you love will give you the love back you need to carry on. And that's what life is all about. That's what feeling alive is all about. So we end with release. This is an epilogue of sorts. Subject number four, months, years later, perhaps, they've traveled far away from home and found their happy place. They found peace. They found a place that they can be themselves. This is essentially a love letter back to our fifth subject, his dad. Dad passed on by this point. Perhaps subject number four had gone back to visit once or twice. Dad got too old to travel, so visits became fewer and far between. Eventually time got the better of him and he left us. Subject number four is alone again, but he's left in a much better place than he was when his love left him all those years ago. All thanks to his dad's wisdom and love. Thanks, Dad. Subject number four has never felt more alive. You can release him now. And that's where the album closes. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but the arc of 10 here consists of five characters. I felt this was a nice nod to the number of band members and the eventual title of their next album, Five Against One. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's, it's, uh, it's long in the cool. tooth. It's long in the tooth. It's I'm gonna, well, run me through the track listing. Let's let everybody listening okay. hear this again from top to bottom. Whew, here we go. Alive. Once. Footsteps. Oceans. Black. Alone. Porch. State of love and trust. Deep. Why go? Wash. Garden. Jeremy. Even flow. Breath. Release. And how many tracks is that total? 15. Do you think this works as a double album? Yes. Okay. So I, I almost wonder, I, it, this would have been hard to debut as a double album. Absolutely. Right. So I think uh, this is the type of track listing that as an exercise, if you've ever felt 10 got stale, if you want to re-experience 10 with a, um, with, with, with a different narrative, with a fresh narrative in mm-hmm. mind, you want to explore the, these vignettes. You want to see it from a cinematic lens. I think your track listing does a marvelous job of that. And one thing that I, I wanted to hear from, because I was, I was jotting some of these ideas down that you had, and I, was, I actually spent the week listening to my retrack listing. And I just I really got into that, that groove to the point mm-hmm. where it's like a whole separate playlist <laughs> on my, my iPod, which every once in a while I could see myself just kind of getting lost in. Uh, but, uh, but yours would be fun. Your, yours would have that really cool double album feel to it, but not haphazardly thrown together. Like, all right, let's just take 10 and slap all the B-sides on at the very end and it just make it a really long listening experience. I think if you're going to do something like that, you really have to go the route you did, which is add some meaning to it. You know, like weave a narrative through there, create a thread, a yarn, as you like to call it. And I thought you did a stellar job of that. So I commend you for, for putting that together. I could have sworn I heard you say subject four towards the end, though. So who's the fifth subject then? His father. The father. Okay. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I, uh, I could not have asked for two vastly different takes 
And I'm so pleased that we arrived at these, in these so very different places as we oft, often do, as yeah. we are wants to do every yes. time we do these retracts. Uh, but I, mostly because I think it gives those listening an opportunity to, to hear two very different perspectives. I, I know if I was listening right now, I would be rushing to literally try and listen to these mm-hmm. al- this album in these two different ways just to get a feel for that. But, but to that end, I'm also interested in what those listening have to say. I would love everybody listening to share with us on social media your retracking of arguably Pearl Jam's greatest album and some of the thoughts behind that retrack. Uh, I, I would, I would love to hear that. I this whole exercise, which we thought was going to be just torturous and impossible. I actually think that, that we came out like Andy Dufresne <laughs> covered in shit, at, at least in our own minds. And uh, feeling pretty good about this. I, I don't think it was as sacri- sacrilegious as, uh, as maybe I thought it was going to be. I think it was a, a very uh, fruitful and rewarding exercise that offered us a chance to revisit 10 in a, a, a different way. It doesn't mean that we have to abandon or uh, that we're, we're suggesting that the original presentation was inferior in any way, shape, or form. That, that it was a timeless album. And it's part of all of our uh, youth and, and childhood in many cases. But uh, just coming at it from these fresh angles, it, it really excites me to go put these songs back on again and, and just kind of live in these new spaces with them. Because, I mean, how old is this record? You know what I mean? Like, you, you start. That's my point. You know, you start realizing that you've listened to it only so many times. You know, well, I shouldn't say only. You've listened to it so many times that uh, it, it almost feels like an exercise like this is something that everybody should do from time to time. It's healthy. I, I feel I think like it's, I think it's almost necessary because yeah. to your point, you know, how often will you, and again, to your other point, this album doesn't need to be retracted. It's lovely no. the way it is. I don't skip yeah, anything ever. I love it. I, I love knowing in my head, if I hear a song on the radio or at a friend's house in my head, I'm thinking to myself, okay, the end of oceans, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's myself, you know, <laughs> So, and we all do that kind of thing, right? Um, but at the same time, I, well, the reason why I say it's necessary is because these, I think one of the reasons why we live, why we live, why we love the live performance so much is because you don't know what song comes next. And so because of that, what, what precedes and what succeeds a song um, makes that song feel a little bit alive, a little bit more different every time you hear it. Mm-hmm. So if you've heard Even Flow, 35 times the fact that it's preceded by thin air one time and followed by you know evolution the next and the next time you heard it it was um you know i don't know uh sometimes and then uh hail hail mm-hmm. like it, it it makes those different bookends around a song make it feel different every single time yeah. because the band might be up and then come down or might be up and up and up and then down again or might be down and go up so it, they always feel different, which is why we love going to see the band dozens upon dozens of times because everything feels different each time we go. And so I think taking an album like this that we've heard a million times in this order to just jog it up, shake it up, um, really just adds a new flavor. And even if obviously the song is a studio version, it's not going to change how it sounds, but how your brain interprets the beginnings and the ends as compared to what precedes it and what succeeds it are 
Very interesting. So um, again, no right answers here, but um, but some interesting ones. And I think we did a great job, both of us, of finding that micro versus macro. I'm so glad that you found it in the way that you did. And then I found some other weird way to do it, but like that distance there between, or the, I don't say this, the um, relationship between those two things was very prevalent. I thought so too. I, I really enjoyed this actually. It was, it was a lot more um, rewarding than I, I, I wasn't dreading it. I joked at the beginning <laughs> that we were avoiding it, but uh, it, it was when I first started doing it, oh my Lord, this, it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was, I, I I was struggling what to do, but I literally grabbed every song from the era and just plopped it into a playlist. And I was like, okay, I got 20 tracks. What the hell am I going to do here? And I just kind of started <laughs> messing around. I think the thing, the first thing I did was like, what if I just started with mama son and go from there? Yeah, I and so I did. It, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, not including brother. That was really hard. I had led better in there as a third example of, um, I was going to have it actually after Jeremy and even flow as a third example of society failing somebody, but I was like, yeah. you know what? Musically, it just doesn't work there. Yeah. So I, I removed it. Um, but yeah. How about that? Very cool. Well, gang. Yeah. Like Paul said, please let us know what you think and uh, send us yours. And here we are feeling it's just so good about it all. Then we're going to go oh, online gonna... tomorrow. It's like, you guys are morons. Absolutely like, murdered. They're going to, you, they're you gonna just butchered me. that album. What, yeah, how dare you? Well, Sully my childhood and youth. <laughs> Let's butcher something else and move on to our <laughs> lyric of the week. Shall we? All right, Paul, lyric of the week, not from 10, but from the 10 era, it's footsteps. Don't even think about reaching me. I won't be home. Don't even think about stopping by. Don't think of me at all Oh, dear Oh, what I had to do If there was a reason It was you All right, lead me off, Paul. We got uh, one of the verses here of, uh, of Footsteps. What you got? You know, I'm going to deviate away from the the literal interpretation of this. Uh, You know, where you have somebody who's literally on death's row in a lot of ways. I I think for me, it's, it's, it's an interesting process and it leads me to a different result. When I just isolate these lyrics, I just handed the set of lyrics to somebody in, in a lot of ways, it really underscores the, tendency that each new generation continues to carry over of blaming somebody else, a prior generation, uh, a disenfranchised group, a force of authority, a figure of authority. There's, there's always blame for one's actions. And it's very rarely directed at oneself. Very rarely is there a level of accountability taken, owning a result. Too often we have a tendency to uh, 
fail in our admission of our own faults, our humanity, if you will. We have a tendency of pointing a finger at somebody else and saying, essentially, uh, I did what I had to do. And uh, if, if you don't like it, well, the reason, you're the reason why it happened. Um, and then, then avoiding it, avoiding those consequences. Don't, you're not going to be able to reach me. I'm not home. Don't even think about stopping by. The, the, the avoidance factor, the, the neglect of responsibility. And I think I see more and more of that today. Uh, maybe I'm just more aware of it now. Maybe it's always been a hallmark of society. I'm sure it has been. I'm sure, you know, if there's somebody listening to this podcast in his or her 80s, person would say it was no different in my time. You know, what I mean? mm. it's just part of human nature, and and it, it's so challenging. And and I think this is this is the true mystery of human nature is our refusal to accept that we are human. It's really an indictment on the ego. We we just cannot accept that we fail, that we are flawed. Uh, we are so rooted in insecurity, in apprehension, in sensitivity, in emotional uh, turmoil, and, and our desire to be liked, respected, loved, and accepted by others before we can find those things within, within ourselves. And so I think that this, this set of lyrics here does a beautiful job of capturing the failure to account and um, I think that we should strive a lot harder than we all do. And, and I'm, I'm owning this too. I mean, I can't, I, it's not like I'm immune to this. This is part of the human condition. We should strive to, to own the results more often. And we should strive to find the joy in accountability. You know, I, I work in education and there's, I don't, I'm not in, an active teacher now. I'm not in the classroom. I'm transitioning into, into administration, but there's no worse feeling than walking back to the car after feeling like you might've failed your students that day, that you weren't your best. And for those of you listening who don't work in that sector, it's a similar feeling to going to bed at night, knowing that you weren't the best dad or the best mom you could have been or the best husband or the best wife or brother or sister or grandson, you know, or grand granddaughter. And you go to bed just feeling that, that, that failure. And uh, it's not a pleasant feeling. And I think that the, there's a real sense of joy that comes with accountability because th there's a fulfillment, a rewarding fulfillment that happens when you know that you, you committed yourself to owning the result for better or worse. And so these lyrics really shined a light on some of those ideas for me. And that's a bit of a different takeaway, I think, than obviously what I know the song is truly about, but I, I wanted to repurpose them for for that little soapbox diatribe of mine. <laughs> the, um, the joy of accountability. It sounds like a New York times bestseller. You know, <laughs> it's, um, what, what is it about, um, people not taking accountability? And it's funny that you bring it to that because a song written in 1991 ish, uh, I mean, we all know what this is really about or what the story really is. Um, 
you know, this idea of a person being absolutely dead to somebody else. I can't even, I can't even think of that um, personally. That's just, it's just a harsh way to think of a person. Um, I mean, I, I used to think I would think that way about an ex. I don't I mean, I didn't, I didn't kill anybody, of course, but the, the feeling of you did me wrong and I will never forgive you. Don't even, don't even think of me at all. And that's a powerful feeling um, made more powerful by the true defiance. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, imagine the people in prison right now that might have actually been good people at one point that were just brought to a breaking point. Um, and they were brought there because someone pushed them there mentally or emotionally, they were abused in some way or just pushed too far or what, whatever their station in life was. They weren't afforded the same um, advantages or, or fairness, quote unquote, that others were afforded. And so, I mean, that's some serious shit. I mean, people that live in poverty and don't get a fair shake and people that get judged by how they look or who they love or whatever, and they're always up against it. Um, hell, women just for being, you know, not dudes. Um, that's, that's been a problem for a while. Uh, imagine being the sole reason why someone committed such an act that they are in prison, even if they were a good person at some point, I don't even know if I could truly understand that feeling. Um, so to take, to take kind of that original meaning there and then kind of weigh it against what you just said about accountability. Do you think, do you think you would have had the same thought process if we were reviewing this song 30 years ago? Do you think society was at a point where accountability wasn't a thing like you could easily apply to it today? I think so. I mean, you, you go back to the early nineties and, um, there was a lot of counterculture. There was a, uh, I think a reaction to exploitation. There was a lot of disenfranchisement felt on behalf of the youth. Uh, you know, it, it, rather than reacting with, with flowers and, and protests, it was, you know, vote for change and uh, let's just get angry. You know, <laughs> And uh, let's a lot, thrash of, a lot of internal it. internalization. It very anger, much was, yeah. which, uh, which I think what Pearl James w- was speaking to <clears> is <throat> all these society failings or, you know, um, even personal problems that everyone deals with the way that I think maybe the youth was reacting to things or internalizing them. Maybe it was different. And so, yeah, well, and, but also you think about what, what popular music looked like back then. I mean, it was a decade of hair metal. I mean, it was just, you know, mm. decadence and, and, you know, these, these stereotypical tropes. And, Where accountability uh, did not matter at all. What's that? No, not at all. It was quite the opposite. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Literally the literal opposite. And I think that if you didn't fit that look, if you know what I mean, if, if, if you look like somebody who didn't necessarily uh, subscribe or, or, or if you didn't look like somebody who, who could put on that outfit and pull it off, where did that leave you? You know what I mean? And so I, there just wasn't avenues available for a lot of folks back then if you weren't pigeonholed or if you were pigeonholed, I should say. And so I, I think in, in many ways, there, there's a lot of continuity and many parallels between some of the failings then as we have now. I think it's just uh, 
what's the expression? Uh, different day, but same. same <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. The more I listen to you talk about the accountability aspect, the more I reread these lyrics here, it just, it reeks of modern day politics. You know, I did what I did. It's your fault. And now, now I'm taking up my microphone, leaving the interview. Yeah. <laughs> like how many times that kind of shit happen on, yeah. on cable news or whatever. It still does. Right. I mean, people just, only just... want to talk into, into their, um, yes, man, applause rooms. No one wants to talk to the other side. No, because if you talk to the other side, you're going to be held accountable. Even if, even if you're right in what you say, you don't want to be challenged. You want to be challenged. And so accountability and challenging, I think are very kind of in the same boat because um, accountability just means you are. It's literally the stimulus for growth. Yeah. And, and the fact yeah. that we, we resist this, I think has a lot to do with why some things never change. It's, it's why a song like WMA continues to be relevant when it shouldn't be. Totally agree. Well, let's go find the best version of this in the live context with our live cut of the week. live card of the week footsteps how many opportunities did we have back in the early 90s to to find a version of this well i I can tell you it was played 118 times in total and in 92 it was played nine times in 93 it was played eight times and i think that kind of limits us (laughs) since he had (laughs) like 17 performances to choose from really yeah well, I think the the you know I'm I'm a stickler for trying to find the best version from the the ideally the tour mm-hmm. to which it belongs uh, at, at the very least the era and uh, we're very fortunate to have June 18, 1992 in Zurich at our disposal because this particular version I think to this day is the finest performance of the song it uh, it's it's very it has a cathedral element to it. I don't, mm. and it's not, it's not played in a cathedral, but it, there, there's something very, um, that there's a scope to it, a scope to it that, that I don't hear in a lot of versions post Zurich. And, uh, I just, it's raw and Eddie does a, a great job of referencing the trilogy that so mm-hmm. beautifully opened your retracking at 10. And so I, I just think if, if you want a, 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 an introduction into that trilogy, this is a great, great entry point for you. Uh, but if you want to hear a version that is a true reflection of what Eddie was thinking, going through and feeling at the time, then this, for my money, this is the best, the best version you'll hear. All right. We're going to Zurich, Switzerland, June 18th, 1992. So this is act three. Stop it. 
Ed going falsetto on that last you is it, that's pretty cool and it's very de- I like how it goes it goes right into that very declarative the end he does that that's it because at the very beginning of the song as you alluded to so this is act three yeah now this was the first time the mama sun trilogy was ever played live mm-hmm. it's only been played live in order four times uh, it has been played nine other times in reverse order, Footsteps Once Alive. And Paul, you and I were at one of those shows, not together, but you saw this July 15th, 2006 in San Francisco. And I saw it five days prior at the Forum here in Los Angeles. So how about that? That's... Well, what wonderful, what a wonderful bookend to this episode, Jason. <laughs> Bringing cool it back to the micro. How cool is that? That's <laughs> yeah, um, great. I think uh, you know this is one of those early day 
like how do we find the soundboard um version of this of this of this show and the reverb on ed's vocals is very powerful here the crowd while they sound sort of sparse the way that they are in the mix is very lovely they sound spread out you could actually they're they're very defined um and it sounds very intimate which i love to hear and i think mike is especially fun in this there's lots of wah and slide work um which i don't know that we hear too much of anymore but it, it felt like he was definitely up to play this and i think it was probably because it was the first time they played all these songs together so i think because of that we we chose wisely with this one i think so too there you go guys uh that is episode three of five of ten month the retracking episode the one i was most nervous about and somehow we've gotten through it we've done it together sure did <laughs> so the last two ten episodes of this month we'll focus on a couple of songs We've never done a song-specific episode before, but there's a couple of songs from this era that kind of require a little extra uh, discussion than a normal just lyric of the week kind of thing. So mm-hmm. look for those over the next two weeks. And um, you know what? Until then, you've been listening to... The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.